Well, good morning again. <laughs> yeah, great to be with you all. I love uh, this season. It's a wonderful season. The days are longer and fruit trees are blooming with beautiful flowers and leaves are coming and fruit. It's a wonderful season. This season for us calls for great rejoicing, doesn't it? Doesn't it, Christian, as we're, man, we're days away, we're a week away from the resurrection of our Lord. He will rise. He, he did rise. What, what a time to rejoice. Jesus rising from the dead, it compels us and calls us to worship. This season calls us to identify once again with the death and resurrection of Jesus. And here we are, once again, the beginning of the final week of our Lord's life and public ministry here on earth. Here we are on this Palm Sunday. Christ is approaching the cross. And the resurrection will follow. I think this week, it is, it is a week where our selfishness needs to be challenged and checked. It's a week where we ask ourselves, who, who am I living for? Who have I been living for? Myself or for Christ? And today, Jesus... He entered into Jerusalem. Not only did he enter into Jerusalem, he entered into the, to the heart of the city. The temple. We see prophecy fulfilled here. Today, as Jesus enters in, it almost, well it does, it marks the beginning of, of, a, of a war in the spiritual realm, really. Because what Jesus is, is doing here as he enters in is he's exposing. He's exposing and he's revealing where the condition of the church is here. So let's go ahead and go to Mark chapter 11. We're going to be reading, or we're going to be looking at Mark 11, 1 through 22. But for now, or right now, let's read Mark 11, verses 1 through 10. says here, as they approached Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he, Jesus, sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one yet has ever sat. And tie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? 
You say the Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it back here. They went away and found a colt tied at the door outside the street, and they untied it. Some of the bystanders were saying to them, What are you doing untying the colt? They spoke to them just as Jesus had told them, and they gave them permission. They brought the colt to Jesus and put their coats on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their coats on the road, and others spread leafy branches with which they had cut from the fields. Those who went in front and those who followed behind were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and into the temple. And after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve since it was already late. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for this time together. Jesus, will you will you enter into our gathering here? Will you enter into our hearts, Lord? I'm asking, Lord, that As we look at this triumphal entry, will you look into our hearts? Lord, will you expose us today and excite us? Lord, will you uncover, Lord, where we're covering ourselves? Jesus, will you remind us today that we are sons and daughters of God? Will you remind us today that you see differently? Will you remind us today that you are gracious and compassionate? Have your way with us, Lord. We yield to you. We release this time to you, Lord. Ask you would have your way with your bride on this Palm Sunday. We love you, Lord. You are so good to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we have our Messiah. On this colt, this fowl of a donkey, this really insignificant animal. Here we have here our Lord. And many entering into Jerusalem, many spreading their coats, running, getting, getting branches, palm branches, and, and laying them down before him. Those in front, those behind shouting, Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Well, 
What we have here is a, is a really beautiful scene, don't we? We have those coats being thrown down, that act of submission. We have these leaves, these palm branches of sig- signifying royalty. We have the Messiah on a cult. What humility. And that's why it's beautiful, right? Jesus came humble, gentle. But we also have a scene here that's a little bizarre. Matthew tells us that the city was stirred. Who is this? Stirred up city. Who is this? What's going on? Luke tells us that some of the Pharisees in the crowd were shouting, Hosanna. They said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Stop them. Stop this. Imagine this scene for a moment. Somewhat maybe hysterics in the crowd. There's no beautiful saddle for Jesus, right? No silver inlays and nice leather fringes hanging off. There's a coat. Messiah on a coat. And this isn't in scripture, but it's it's okay for us to think about this scene here. I don't imagine... That Jesus was there on the colt waving, blowing kisses, right? He wasn't, oh yes, I can't wait to go to the banquet. This was a false coronation of a king. I don't imagine Jesus was doing that. I don't, I don't imagine that, oh, I'm excited to head to this banquet He was headed to war against the kingdom of darkness. I mean, there's much more happening here in the spiritual realm. Wouldn't you all agree? There is this beautiful display of humility, the coats, the branches. But I imagine our Savior, knowing very well what's going to take place, not only that day, but in the day and the week to follow. There's an exposing that's going to be happening. After all, there's no other way for which man can be saved, right? There's no other way except through Jesus Christ. And so there is a battle. And I love our Lord. What does he do when he enters in? Well, in Luke's account... It says he weeps over the city. He says, if you had known what makes for peace, if you had known I am the prince of peace, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, 
one who kills the prophets, how I long to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks. How I long to cover you, but you were unwilling. Our Savior weeps. What a bizarre and wild and beautiful time this must have been. Are you picturing that? In Mark 11, 11 in our text, whoops, <laughs> sorry, just want to see if you're awake now. Um, <laughs> verse 11 here, Jesus entered Jerusalem and he came into the temple. Jesus goes straight into the temple and after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve since it was late. Jesus goes straight to the temple. And you know what? There was no banquet there for Jesus. There should have been, right? There should have been. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. There should have been a a big banquet, right? I mean, isn't that what should have taken place? Every decoration of honor and praise... And glory to Christ should have been decorated in that temple. Every instrument, right, in the city. Every musician there just strumming. Jesus, the Messiah. Beautiful food laid out. But that was not the case, as we'll find out. And it says that Jesus looked around at everything. I want us to picture that for a moment. He enters in. He goes straight to the heart of this city, kind of the central headquarters. And he enters in. It says he looks around at everything. I don't know if Jesus stood in one spot and surveyed and looked. I don't know if he walked around a bit closely examined but what I do know the scripture says is he looked at everything he was assessing everything there and Jesus sees differently than than man does doesn't he we know that we know that Jesus sees different than we do at times the Christian he sees in the spirit Jesus looks through things to the heart, doesn't he? He's not too impressed with show and performance. He looks through things to the heart, doesn't he? The bigger picture Jesus sees, he sees with with wisdom, with an eternal perspective, with understanding, with love, with compassion, with truth. Perhaps in that moment there where Jesus goes in and and looks around at everything. He was thinking about Isaiah 6-9, which Matthew, Matthew speaks of it, Matthew 13, 14 through 17. It says, in their case, 
prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears, they scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and return, and I would heal them. Probably why Jesus was weeping, right? If they would understand, if they would know. Look at the long-suffering of the Lord there. Boy. For truly, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. They missed it. Jesus is there in the temple. He's he's looking around at everything. And he's grieved, perhaps. And he's like, I know it must take place. little side note here is, you know, when you're born again, you become a Christian, do you know that you're now called a temple of God? Isn't that cool? Isn't that radical? 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Wow. God dwells in you. The third person of the Trinity dwells within the Christian. And Matthew 10, 26 says, there's nothing concealed that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. And when I read that Jesus went into the temple to the heart of the city. He looked around at everything. Since we're called temples of God, we have the Spirit in us. And nothing is hidden from His sight. May that cause us to echo what the psalmist says. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Examine me, O Lord. Test my mind and my heart. And for us in this season, it calls us to be exposed, doesn't it? It causes us to say, examine me, Lord. I'm confronted with this. Because God wants our hearts, right? He doesn't want performance out of us. He wants our hearts. Right? You know, it causes us this season to ask ourselves, how has my attitude been? You know, we're, we're going to see in a few days this denying of self to the 
to the most radical degree of taking that cross. What a time for us to ask ourselves, have I been denying myself lately? Have I been dying to serve my wife? What have I done? All of us can ask this. Am I positioned to serve others? How has my heart been? Towards this situation. Because we're temples, the Spirit's in us, and nothing is hidden from His sight. And what's really great about that, I was mentioning this later, is Christian, you're not a child of wrath anymore. Isn't that great? You're not a child of wrath. There's no fear. Back to the temple. Still in verse 11, it says that Jesus left. They left with the 12. It was getting late. And then we get to the next day here. We'll read in the next couple of verses. And this next day brings a foreshadowing of what Friday... Will, and Sunday will accomplish for eternity. Let's read. Mark eleven twelve through 14. On the next day when they had left for Bethany, he became hungry. Seeing at a distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it to eat. And when he, be, and when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For it was not the season for the figs. And he said to this tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples were listening. Whoa. (laughs) Jesus, just a fig tree. What's going on? Ah, but there's much more going on. And he wanted to make sure his disciples saw this. So here they are. they're, They're coming from Bethany back to Jerusalem. And they see this fig tree at a distance. They see this fig tree and leaf, lots of leaves. The season to harvest the figs was not yet. It was soon. It was not yet. This tree full of leaves. There must be fruit on it. Surely some figs. Surely something to satisfy. Surely something to feed, to nourish. And what happens is there was nothing there wasn't one fig. And Jesus curses this tree and says, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. Why did Jesus curse that tree? What was he doing there? What was he wanting to show the disciples? Well, that tree represented the opposite of God. It, present, it represented the the opposite of God's nature. That tree had no nourishment to offer, no service to give, no concern for anyone. It grew big. It had leaves. It looked good and green. But it offered nothing to satisfy. It should have bore fruit. That tree should have bore fruit. A tree represented the stronghold of the Jewish church at the time. 
It represented the condition of the leaders, the priests and the Pharisees. The false religion, the false leaders and teachers of the law who put heavy yokes on people and serve themselves. Those leaves represented their own righteousness. Look. Look at this nice green tree. Look at what I've done. But there's no fruit. It represented own coverings. That the false teachers cover themselves with their own man-made coverings. Their own man-made righteousness. You guys know this story. The Pharisee and the publican in Luke 18, 9 through 14. Saying, and he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray. This is a parable Jesus was speaking to his disciples. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector, right? Tax collectors were despised. Nobody really liked the tax collectors. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, thank you that I am not like others. Swindlers, unjust. Adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Thank you that I am not like them. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Whoa. And we cover ourselves too, don't we? Yeah, we do. I do. You know, we, we, one leaf. Oh, I'm so ashamed of the past. One leaf. Another leaf. You know, I've been abused. Hide, we cover. Another leaf. Well, I'm doing okay compared to them. Another leaf, another leaf. Well, I don't do this or that, you know. I'm, I come to church all the time. Another leaf, another leaf, another leaf. We cover ourselves, right? At times with our own coverings. We cover a leaf of, well, I'm better than them. You know, and our hearts will think that, or minds. Cover ourselves with Shame. Or because of shame, cover that up, cover that up. Look good, look good. It hurts too bad to be exposed. It 
It hurts too bad if people knew what I've done, and I don't even know if God really can heal me or if he even loves me. I feel so unlovable. Cover, cover, cover. Adam and Eve did that too, didn't they? You know, when, when, when God brought the woman to the man, Adam says, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. It says there that they were naked and unashamed. Naked and unashamed. And when sin, when they sinned, and they ate of the fruit, sin came in and, and, and specifically we could say that shame. Shame was like the first descriptive or one of the first descriptive sins, right? They heard God's voice. Oh, they were ashamed. They made coverings for themselves. And you know what's kind of interesting is what did they use for the covering? Fig leaves. Their own coverings. And when we read on more of Adam and Eve, we know that God's grace, he actually made coverings out of animal skins for them. That grace of God, it wasn't the ultimate grace. That's coming. God made coverings for them. Jesus, in cursing that tree, is saying enough. No one will ever eat fruit from you again. Your time is done, false teachers. And for us, you know, don't, we're going to see, don't hide from me. I love you. Jesus is saying, in a way, no longer will death have its sting. No longer will my people to live in bondage, but my people will live fruitful lives. I'm going to be completely uncovered, completely shamed in a few days so that we can be uncovered and exposed and be healed and live free lives. I will defeat the enemy in death in this curse and make a way for the world to enter into intimacy with me and the Father once again. I'm going to take that shame once and for all. I'm going to cover you with my blood. I'm going to give you freedom. I'm going to go back to that very first sin of shame, Adam and Eve. I'm going to go back. I'm going to bear all the shame for you. I'm going to cover you, and you're going to be brand new. Believe in me. How's that? Boy, what a season we're in. Oh, man. Thank you, Lord. And we're not children of wrath, Christian. Man. Okay, verses 15 through 17 here. He entered to the temple. 
drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple, overturn the table of the money changers and the seats of those selling doves. He would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple and began to teach and say to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? You've made it a robber's den. You've made it a place for your own gain. Jesus goes straight to the central headquarters of the city, straight to the heart of the city, the place that was completely against him. What does he do? He overturns tables. He pronounces the horrific corruption of the temple. He gives that picture of him in a few days. He's going he's gonna to take the sting of death away. He's going to overthrow the kingdom of darkness. He's going to make a way in a few days for men and women to be saved. He's overthrowing. It's a picture of him overthrowing, of overturning, defeating the kingdom of darkness. What does he say on the cross? Does he say it is finished? It's a, it's a little foreshadowing there. Of, it's finished. This is, this is done. What a radical scene. What was Jesus' weapon? What was Jesus' weapon here as he enters into this place? Imagine, like, coming in, you know, to here, and if everybody was just against you, almost everyone will see, but and all the leaders and everybody against you, you come in here and you just, enough, enough. This, this, you know, throwing, overturning, Making a whip. What was Jesus' weapon? Was there a big infantry up at the Mount of Olives where Jesus, real quick, you know, and then they come down? Or, uh, oh, the temple was actually surrounded where Jesus gave a nod. Jesus' weapon was his trust in the Father. His trust. In the Father's will, Jesus' weapon was that intimate relationship with the Father. John tells us about this. I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And Jesus said, again, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and I do nothing on my own initiative but I speak these things as the Father taught me, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please him. He's not left me alone. Perhaps before he entered into Jerusalem, he was talking with the Father. He had to talk with the Father. The Father, again, just imagining, it's okay, we, we can do that. We know God's character. Maybe the father is like, my son, this is the time. This is the week. This is the week. I love you. I'm with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Remember? Eternity. Eternity forever. There's no other way. My son, I'm with you. You will rise again. What's our weapon as we press on, as we're tempted? 
as we come against darkness and this tough refining time in this life, well, at the very core, at the very foundation, is that we are sons and daughters of God. And we have a great father, a good, good father. We have a beautiful savior. We have a helper in us. This is our foundation to stand on and it will never be shaken. And so we ask ourselves, where is our trust? Is it in self-righteousness? Or is it in, I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. Hebrews 12.2 is so great. It's fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You know, the enemy wants to keep us shamed and condemned and guilty. There's no more shame. There's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For whom the Son is set free, you are free indeed. Amen. Back at the temple, the chief priests heard this proclamation of Jesus. He made it a robber's den. They sought to destroy him. Wow. Wow. It says they were afraid of him, for the whole crowd was astonished. They missed it. They were afraid of him. They were so into their own deal that they got confronted with this truth. They were afraid. Oh, please. Oh, the whole crowd was astonished. They were afraid of him. You see, when, when Christ exposes, when the Spirit exposes the heart, uh, you know, things in our heart, that aren't, that aren't healthy, they're not biblical, they're not godly, they're not kingdom-minded. When God exposes them, there's no need for fear. It's that love, because we're sons and daughters of God, right? We're not children of wrath, and we see these leaders fearful, and they were missing it again. You know, the whole crowd was astonished. But we'll see in a few days that being astonished doesn't mean you believed. Believe. Being shocked, being amazed, doesn't mean you've been born again. Even the people said they were hanging on every word, but many missed it. You know, and it was, it was the religious leaders and others who crucified him. Here they are, Hosanna, and then in a few days, crucify him. Give us a murderer instead. What? You missed it. Did the people know he had the credentials of the Messiah? You bet. Born of the line of David, miracle worker, healing sick, casting out demons, raising people from the dead. How could they possibly decide to crucify him? Well, the sinful heart. Before you're born again, the heart is desperately wicked and full of deceit. After you get saved, you have a new heart. We have this flesh that tempts us and can pollute our hearts. That sinful heart can be very interested in Jesus. 
The sinful heart can be very, very religious until Jesus attacks that false religion. You've never seen a person turn so fast when the truth is exposed. I'm sure we all have instances and really for our hearts when people expose things in us, there's times when you're like, what? Like, when Jesus came to Jerusalem, they were ready to hail him as Messiah if he would do for them what they wanted. And when he didn't, they cried for his blood. Those leaders thought that when the Messiah came, they would be commended by him. They missed it. They had a murder. And even Jesus continued to, in this time, he was healing the blind and the lame. God's kingdom was still going forth and they missed it. But you know who didn't miss it? And this is interesting. The children didn't miss it. Matthew 21, 15 says, But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things he had done, the healing, and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the Son of David! The chief priests and scribes became indignant. The religious leader missed it. Little children got it. There they are, right in the heart, right in the heart, right there in the temple. Hosanna to the Son of David. What a wild scene that must have been. Jesus said, Permit the children to come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. It also says, Unless you're converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven picture of that right there. The born again believer is no longer identified as a sinner but as a son as a daughter. Isn't that great? Yes, we do sin but that's not our identity. Here we are at Next morning, verses 20 to 22. As they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. Being reminded, Peter said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered, saying to them, Have faith in God. (laughs) I love our Lord. Have faith in God. Overnight, this was withered from the root up. Again, this represented the character and state of the Jewish church at the time. Those leaders dried up this tree, no longer good for food, but just for fuel for the fire. And can we go to the Old Testament real quick? I love the word. The word is so cool. (laughs) Sorry, that's an understatement, but... The internal consistency of the Bible is so radical. So in Numbers, <laughs> Bo and I were just tripping out on this. 
this week talking about it. Um, uh, so in Numbers 17, 8, God told Moses, get a dry rod, a branch, dried up branch, right? 12 of them for each of the tribes and put them in a pile. And overnight, um, I'm going to cause, you know, whom I choose to be the priestly line, to be the priest, Aaron's tribe, Levites, uh, um, the, 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 the rod will bud and blossom and bring fruit. And so that rod, it says there in Numbers 17 and 8, it says overnight it budded, it blossomed, and it brought forth almonds as confirmation of the established priesthood. And in one night, this tree withered from the roots up. It's like this priesthood is done. This priesthood is done. Maybe some of you are like, whoa, okay. I see where he's going. Maybe not, but I'll, sh- <laughs> I'll explain it as we, as we finish up. <laughs> it's radical here. This is radical, what God is doing. From the roots up, totally exposed, right? From the roots up. The ground. that is. Jesus says, Has, have faith in God. Have faith in, in God, my brothers, disciples. Say to, you'll say to that mountain, be moved into the sea. Have faith in God. Lively, active faith will keep us bearing fruit. Say to those mountains, get up and go to the sea. Jesus is saying here, have trust in me. Have faith in me. Don't trust in princes and mortal man where there's no salvation. Trust in me. Abide in me. Have faith in me. Psalm 1.1. Blessed are those who do not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Their delight is in the law of the Lord, and in the law meditate day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in its seasons, and its leaves do not wither. Whatever he does, he prospers. Wicked or not so, it will be like chaff, which is burnt away. Um, Jesus is saying, have faith in God. Have faith in God. And so, this beginning here of this Passion Week, it marks the most amazing beginning. It marks the opening up. It, 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 it marks the representing the ability to have intimacy with the Father once again. Wow. For sure the darkness does not want that. Because what happens when the Christian is intimate with the Father? Healing. Boldness. Love. Compassion. Humility. Freedom. Right? Fruit, peace, patience. And so for us today and this week, let's not miss Jesus, okay, church? Let's not miss him. Spirit of God is inside you, Christian. 
Let him expose. You know? let's, let's be thinking of denying ourselves, of allowing God to fillet us open. Let's not be afraid to allow Christ to expose us, allow the Spirit to expose us. We are children of God. He is gentle. He's riding on that colt, remember. He's weeping over that city, remember. His power was always in control. He's powerful. A smoldering wick, he won't put out. A bruised reed, he's not going to destroy. Let's give him permission to expose our hearts. And right now as we worship, the team can come up. We don't need to respond out of fear, Christian. But out of joy. Out of gratitude. Knowing that we're the beloved of God. Letting that beloved consciousness just lead us and and move us to a time of rejoicing. Aren't you glad you're not a fig tree anymore, covering up, living for yourself? Boy, I am. Perhaps you've put some leaves on that you want to just know more. Be exposed, because he will handle us and does so good. And lastly, lastly, you know, there was no banquet in the temple, right? There was no banquet there for the Lord. You know why? He's waiting for the marriage supper of the Lamb with us. He's waiting for that banquet where we will feast together, where we will be one with Him, where there will be the true priesthood established, a holy nation, the church, ruling and reigning and rejoicing together. Amen? Amen. Let's rejoice in the Lord. Thank you, God, for today. Come, Jesus, and expose us, God. We know that you are good. We know you are good, Lord. <laughs> you are a good, good Father. Lord, we, we, we ask that you would remove fear. We bring rejoicing. If we need to weep, Lord, let us weep. What a week, God. What a week this is where you made the way for intimacy with the Father to take our shame, to take our shame and to cover us with your blood. Have your way with us. Those that don't know you here, that have not been born again, Man, I'm I'm telling you, you're dead in your sins. Come, receive Christ as Lord and be alive. Don't miss him. Thank you, Lord.